You are Locked On Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Royals podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. This is Locked On Royals, the only daily podcast about the Kansas City Royals. Today is Wednesday, and baseball has been making some moves on the non-tender deadline, and so we'll talk all about that on today's show, brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKDOWN. You're going to get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. So the Royals were involved in the non-tender deadline. Uh, they actually part ways with Michael Franco, who is now officially a free agent. Obviously, being a free agent, he could return to Kansas City, but it certainly seems unlikely after he's non-tendered by the Kansas City Royals. Now, on that note, the Royals did avoid arbitration with Hunter Dozier, who signs a one-year contract worth about $2 million right in that ballpark. I like it for Dozier. I really do. Uh, I'm hoping that you know the, the trend continues here down the line as we uh, see Dayton Moore continue to avoid arbitration. I mean, that's kind of been his MO, right? He avoided it with Hosmer, avoids it with Moustakis and Kane and Escobar. He he typically avoids going to arbitration. And why that's so important is because arbitration can get nasty. I mean, if you haven't heard the stories or know about arbitration, I mean, you're just going to an arbiter and the team's going to give one side of why they think that they should pay a player less. The player's going to give another side of why they think that the team should pay them more. And you're basically forced to kind of argue against how good your player is or how valuable your player is. So there's a bit of an asset and a bit of a value to not taking that, that arbitration room or if it's a zoom this year because of covid that as well uh, there's a there's a huge advantage to not having to go to arbitration with your players because you're basically just allowing yourself not to talk bad about a player in your organization or say something negative about a player in your organization and we've heard stories of sometimes that arbitration cases can impact teams ability to re-sign a player whenever they hit the open market. And in Kansas City, you have enough disadvantages. So you might as well avoid them at every cost. And that's what you really have to apply Dayton more for, is avoiding all of those arbitration uh, hearings with those top guys. And he does it again with Hunter Dozier, who signs that one-year deal to stay in Kansas City and avoid arbitration. Of course, he would have stayed anyway. I mean, you, you, even if you go to arbitration, he's still in Kansas City no matter what. But you avoid the nastiness of the bickering of arbitration. For Franco, I think that this could signal, and again, this is just me thinking, and this is just me speculating. It's nothing that uh, I've seen that's been made official. I think that Hunter Dozier will play third base this year. I think that Hunter Dozier slides over to third, and he fills in for Franco, and they don't bring Franco back. And and your third baseman is Dozier, and, and that's kind of what he grew up doing in this system. Uh, he, he performed pretty well in the outfield whenever he was asked to, but I do think that At the end of the day, third base is a better position for him. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about Dozier's future in Kansas City. And I'm I'm hoping that he can be a building block in Kansas City for years to come because he has that all-star potential. He has that all-star 
that all-star feel around his career, especially getting there a couple of years ago. And for Franco, he didn't have the season I thought he'd have. I thought he'd have a much bigger, a much bigger impact at the AL side of things. But of course, when you have Jorge Soler on the team, he can't DH. So that hurts him. He gets exposed in the field, especially that first half of the season. He was awful in the field. And then it gets a little bit better towards the end of the season, you know, playing third base. But you just remember countless errors that cost uh, the Royals games at third base. And his bat heated up in the middle of the season. That was good. But I understand parting ways with him. Now, we get to a move I don't understand. I do want to talk about Michael Taylor again. I understand Michael Taylor is a really good defender, but whenever you see what happened today in the non-tender deadline, it continues to be puzzling to me. Because if I was going to take a flyer on an outfielder, and, and you know that I wouldn't have if I was Kansas City. If I was Dayton Moore, I wouldn't have looked to add in that outfield. Because I think that you frankly are, are already going into this offseason at a log jam. So anything that you add to it would obviously hurt yourself. Because I, I think that it is time for uh, Khalil Lee to play. It is time for Kyle Isbell to play. Of course, Edward Lavieras deserves a spot from wherever he did last season after the trade with the Padres. Frenchy Cordero deserves to have a look after what he did last season. Do you want to quit, uh, keep put Merrifield in the outfield or move him back to second base? But if you want to keep him in the outfield, that's five outfielders right there. That is already five. You can only have three on the uh, on the field. So I don't understand taking a flyer on a 29-year-old who's going to be 30 once the season starts and has shown you no upside and no potential at the big league level. Especially when you could have waited 24 hours and found yourself with no more Mazaria on the open market a 25-year-old who has shown you all-star level potential, who finished fifth in the Rookie of the Year voting in 2016, who had some really good years in Texas, and I thought was going to have a really bounce-back year in Chicago. Of course, that didn't actually happen for him, and that's why Chicago parts ways with him, but I still think this guy has all-star potential, and he's only 25 years old. Look, he's still a flyer. It's not a sure thing that he would have panned out. But I would feel more confident, and I do feel more confident, that if either guy, Michael A. Taylor or Nomar Mazzario, is going to have a good career, who would I bank on? I'm banking on Nomar 10 times out of 10. The Michael A. Taylor signing to me provides you nothing. What, what is the benefit of having good defense in center field this year on a team that is not trying to truly contend? Is the value you get from having an an above-average defender in center field better than the value you get from having Francisco Cordero out there to learn and grow his game, Edward Levieres out there to learn and grow his game, or Kyle Isbell or Khalil Lee, or throwing a flyer at a guy who actually has potential and has actually proven at the big league level that he can be a really good player and no more? I don't understand why they went the Michael A. Taylor route. Michael A. Taylor is a good little player if you're trying to actually contend because he can shore up that defense. But I don't understand it beyond that. And I really don't understand it if you keep Witt in the outfield, which, personally, I would hope that they would do because I do want to see Nicky Lopez more. I think Nicky Lopez should have won a gold glove. He has an amazing he has an amazing glove at second base. So you're just waiting for that hitting to come around with him, and I think you should have given him more time at the plate if you do end up bringing uh, Whit Merrifield in the second base. So... I don't know what they're going to do in the outfield, but it certainly seems like it's going to have to be Witt going back to second base. 
Because if he only slides over to right field, that occupies one of your outfield spots. If you want to play Michael Taylor because it was so important to you to get to get center field defensively short up, that takes up another one. So that's two gone now. And then that last spot will be spent, I think should be spent on Edward Livieras, but there's also Frenchy Cordero and there's other guys in the mix there. So I just don't understand limiting you, especially in a position where you already had a numbers crunch. You already had a log jam at it. It's not like you only had one good outfielder or you know you, you were really scrambling. I would argue that outside of starting pitching, this is where you have your your biggest need. This is where you have. I mean, uh, this is where you have your your biggest log jam. This is where you have your biggest portion of depth is in your outfield. Because let me tell you this also. If Alberto Mondesi is who we all want him to be, and everyone wants him to be this, this amazing all-star MVP candidate, and everyone is taking his final two weeks of the 60-game season as gold, and, and so let's just pretend in a fantasy world that he comes in and, to this season and is that. Let's pretend he finally puts it all together this year. He's finally an elite player. And he makes himself a mainstay in Kansas City. Bobby Witt Jr. is supposed to come up middle or end of this season. So then whenever he comes up, well, he's not going to move off of, of Mondesi at shortstop. If you bring Whit Merrifield down to second base, Whit Merrifield's going to be your second baseman. He has a lot of value playing third base, probably what Jr. does. So if he plays third base, then Hunter Dozier has to move over to either first base or into the outfield. So then that could create another possibility in that outfield. Because, I mean, Frenchie Cordero, Nick Heath played well last year before he got hurt. Khalil Lee, Edward Livieras, and then now Michael A. Taylor. Plus, you also have Kyle Isbell. I, I don't get the Michael A. Taylor move at all. I really don't. But coming up, we're going to talk about this team and talk about the direction that they might be heading and which direction I would want them to head. After this. But first, I want to tell you about our good friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is an amazing protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com, use promo code locked on, get 20% off your next order. They have all new white chocolate bars, and it tastes wonderful. They have white chocolate cookies and cream, white chocolate salted caramel, and for everything that you purchase, you're going to get two free candy cane brownie bars. And you are not going to want to miss out on candy cane brownie bars from Built Bar. They are amazing for pre-workout. They're great for post-workout. They're even really filling, and so they're good for a meal replacement on the go if you just need something really quick for your breakfast or for your lunch. Uh, it, it's that feeling you can get through the day with Built Bar. BuiltBar.com, promo code locked on gets you 20% off your next order and trust me you will not regret it let me know your favorite flavor of built bar on twitter at locked on royals so we're back on the locked on royals podcast a part of the locked on podcast network your teams every day and so we continue talking now about the path that kansas city is going because I think that it's an interesting one, and, and that they still have left themselves with room to operate here this offseason. Because the rotation should shake out. Brad Keller, 
Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, Danny Duffy as your four, and then we'll see who claims that fifth spot. Will it be Mike Miner? Personally, I'm hoping not. I'm hoping not for the long haul of this season. Maybe you you slide in Mike Miner there for the first three weeks of the season, manipulate service time, and then call up Asa Lacey, call up Daniel Lynch, call up Jackson Coart, call up whomever. But the Royals typically do not manipulate service time. So understanding that, I'd rather not have Mike Miner, Mike Miner in the rotation. And then your bullpen, you have Tyler Zuber, who, who performed so well last year, Scott Barlow, you have Jacob Junis back, and, and we can see if he can thrive in a, in a bullpen role, and also Jesse Hahn, and, and we'll see the additions they make into that bullpen coming up and, and throughout this season. I mean, can uh, Ronald take that step, the guy that they got from the, from the Padres in that Tim Hill trade? Can Richard Lovelady finally figure it all out? Carlos Hernandez last year was a nice bright spot, and who can forget Josh Stomont, who is turning himself into a legitimate back into the rotation kind of guy. So you feel decent about the pitching. Obviously, you're baking a lot on young guys. You have to have an emergence of Brady Singer taking that next step, Chris Bubich taking that next step, Brad Keller remaining consistent and showing you that the 60-game season was not a flash in the pan. And then you know that Danny Duff will be a roller coaster up and down, but as a roller coaster at number four, that's fine. And then at five, who's going to fill in there? I'm hoping that Mike Miner returns to Kansas City in a bullpen role. I think that he can really help that bullpen that we just rattled off that could use a boost this season. And you get to see the young guns in the rotation. And then at catcher, of course, Salvador Perez. And in the infield, you have probably Dozier at third, I would say. You're going to still platoon O'Hearn and McBroom, I would say. Second base can go Lopez or Whitmerfield. Let's assume that they want Whitmerfield at least to start in right field. So let's go Lopez at, at second. And then, of course, at shortstop, you have Alberto Modesi. And then in the outfield, you're going to get, I think, what you're going to see is Michael A. Taylor in center, Witt in right, and then in left field, Eduardo Lavieras. And then you're going to DH Soler. So that's an interesting-looking roster. I said it last year. I'll say it again. It should be a competitive one. Obviously, that they had a, a, a terrible start at the plate to start the season last year. If that continues, they're, they're not going to be good. But all of those bats have potential and have shown you in different situations and different circumstances that they can be a good one. You just got to let them prove it to you again, and you got to let them all play it at the same time and play well at the same time. That takes something that not a lot of teams get. You, you don't always get all your guys playing well at the exact same time. Like last year, Edward Oliveira sent an amazing run after being traded to Kansas City. And it coincided with Alberto Mondesi playing well. It coincided with Whitmerfield hitting well. It coincided with all these guys also hitting. But what if Edward Oliveira said that run on opening day? It would have coincided with nobody. So you only have one good guy in your lineup. You need all these guys hitting together. And we'll see if they can actually pull that off. And you need a huge bounce back here from Jorge Soler. But you look up and down that that lineup, and I think that you have a, a black hole in center field. Uh, Michael A. Taylor will produce nothing at the plate. You right now have a black hole at second base, Nicky Lopez, but with potential, who could maybe turn his career around to the plate. It's really the only thing that he's lacking right now. So if he focuses on that all offseason, maybe he can turn that around. Other than that, you're good, you're good in your lineup one through nine, other than those two positions. And so there's a way for you to maneuver that with taking out Michael A. Taylor and putting in 
Frenchie Cordero or putting in Kyle Isbell or Khalil Lee and see if they can perform. But of course, you're not going to sign Mike Clay Taylor for nothing. Especially whenever you sign him to a major league contract and not a minor league deal. But I'm interested to see how this all unfolds. Because there's there's this roster here that is kind of in the middle. I mean, it's kind of just, okay, we're not terrible. At least we shouldn't be on paper. But we're also not good. But there's also the expanded playoffs. So it's like, what is the lane that Kansas City wants to go through and, and go into this offseason and this season? And what are the legitimate expectations? Not what Mike Matheny says. I mean, Mike Matheny every year and Dayton Moore every year is going to say it's, it's the postseason. But what are the legitimate expectations? Because if you're going to waste our time and play Michael A. Taylor and play Mike Miner as a starter, you know, put Mike Miner as a starter, not a bullpen guy. If you're going to waste our time with those fringe moves, and we're not going to get to see a Luis Fox play, we're not going to get to see a Frenchie Cordero play, we're not going to get to see you know, a, a young pitcher play, then the expectation should be you have to make a push for the expanded postseason. You cannot be a, a bottom-dwelling team that got no young players any experience or left a lot to be desired in the sense of getting young players' experience. So I'm interested to see the next moves from here on out, from Dayton Moore. And tomorrow I want to talk about on the show, should the ownership group of Kansas City get a lot of praise for this offseason so far? Because I've seen a lot of people praising them about spending money, and I want to talk about that in a deeper conversation on tomorrow's show. So be sure to subscribe to Lockdown Royals wherever it is you get your podcast from. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you next time on Lockdown Royals.